0: This is the UK Housebuilder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Bull, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK housebuilding teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7, 365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies, leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience.
1: In 1995, after a solid grounding in the house building industry, Steve Midgley started his own family-run business with his wife, Christine. Since then, the pair have grown the business into an award-winning regional developer, completing around 50 new homes a year in and around the East Midlands. In this podcast, Steve gives a very personal, insightful and thought-provoking account of his years in the industry surviving the recession and navigating financial institutions, and highlights the benefits of being an SME in today's market and where new opportunities may lie. Steve, thank you very much for appearing on the show. What I think the listeners would really like to understand at, at the beginning is just get a, a picture of, of where Fairgrove Homes are at the moment, kind of the, the geography that you are based in, kind of the number of units and the, and the type of build of house that you guys focus on?
2: Well, we're based in the East Midlands, which is which we see as Nottingham, Leicester, Derby. And our office is not far between Nottingham and Derby. We've ventured previously just to the west of that in East Staffordshire and also north into South Yorkshire. Right. Um, but our current sites are actually closer to home, so we're we we've actually only operating in McKim and Derbyshire at the moment. All right, okay. Size of house, we're doing a, a little bit smaller than we originally used to do, but we've mainly been in a small and medium sized detached market. We're building bigger sites now than we used to do pre recession, so we are including some three bed semis in there as well, just to spread the the. the Appeal with what we've looked on the site.
1: How many units would Bear Grove Home typically look to?
2: We'll be somewhere in the 40 something this year and, and probably just over 50 next year.
1: Right, okay. And, and, and off how many sites
2: is that? That's on two sites.
1: Off two sites? Right, yeah. okay. And prior to Bear Grove you, you first of all, you, you guys have been going for, for, for 20 odd years,
2: that's correct, isn't it? Yeah, 1995
1: I started. Right, okay. What were you doing before? Homes.
2: Well, I started in the timber trade as a management trainee, for a big national company. Um, and then I went to work for one of my customers who was in the sort fitted of, kitchens and wardrobes business. Right, okay. And we got quite heavily into supplying interest SME house builders. And then I went to work for one of them uh, in the late 80s. Right, okay. Unfortunately, and that was in Lincolnshire, that was a family business in Lincolnshire. Unfortunately, they didn't survive the recession of the late 80s, early 90s. So in September 92, I found myself made redundant. Right. And I spent two and a half years, I suppose, you could call it odd jobbing for for people, doing marketing work for them. But the, the biggest one I was doing was actually helping other small builders find funding. Because the firm, the firm I worked for, the, the boss there, he and I had spent a lot of time in 1991 and 92, crawling around the London merchant banks trying to find funding. Because actually, we'd sold everything we'd got, and he'd got other the land lined up, but just couldn't get any funding for it. So eventually, well, unfortunately, within about two months of him closing the doors, the funding did start to become available. Which was unfortunate, and I, and there was one small bank that we'd done some build-outs for in Lincolnshire where, uh, where somebody else had done bust on them. Right. So they knew me and I knew them fairly well. And I got them funding other people and then asked them if they'd come to me and that's where we started.
1: Well, I was going to, I was, I was, one of my questions, was going to be, how did you go go and get funding and, and, and kind of start out Fairgood?
2: Well, yeah, it was it was basically through knowing that one it was they were a fairly small uh, merchant bank uh, that was specialised in house building. And by a set of they'd had a new managing director who came from the East Midlands, although they were based down south, so he knew this area. Um and he helped me with getting some other people from me and like I say than ourselves. And he funded me hundred percent on the first scheme and took a Last proportion of profit oh, off me for for the privilege, but it got us going.
1: <laughs> when you started Fairgrove Homes, so your main background comes kind of from funding and what, also sales and marketing discipline, or?
2: Well, it was. I mean, I was actually sales. I was actually sales director for the firm for the firm in Lincolnshire. So my background was always in the sales side of things, but I had got involved very much more on the funding funding and the and the building side, and no, I. And so on the and the marketing and the, like I say, the funding and and doing financial appraisals for sites. So the building side, in a way, I mean, I don't want this to sound wrong, but, I mean, that, in a way, that's the easy bit. Uh, <laughs> no. find, finding the land and finding the funding and getting the planning is, nobody on site will tell you that because yeah. they think that's, that's difficult, but they don't realise what you've gone through before you get to that point. So on the first site, we brought I brought somebody in as a sort of project manager um, just part-time to assist me, who, who was actually somebody I had arranged some previous funding for. By the time I got to the second site, I was just running it myself anyway. Right, wow. The first site was 12 units. The second one was seven, I think. And we and we potted along with sites of those sort of sizes between... don't think we did much less than five until the recession came along. Five to... 15 was most regular sites we did a couple in the 20 to 30 bracket but by 2006 to 7 we were getting close on 50 units a year and you have to get onto bigger sites if you're doing more because you just can't get through planning with the number of small sites that you would need to do that in terms of
1: just rewinding slightly. When you when you started up Fairgrove Homes, did you have a clear vision of where you wanted to be as a company?
2: Not at all. It was it was almost that it was just something myself and my wife could run from home. Right. And if we had, if we had one one development on the go and then got another one the following year, that that would be absolutely fine, and that I would carry on with some of the funding for people. But it sort of Things move on, and you get more into that, and you find once you're in business, people start bringing land to you. Finding your first site is very difficult because nobody knows that you want it. But once you're in business, sites start to come to you more, so, you know, that part of it becomes a bit easier. Right. The funding and the planning don't particularly, but as you said earlier, that's, that's a, one of the biggest difficulties. So then
1: we got to 2006, 2007. And then the, you know, the market start to fall off the marketplace come 2008.
2: Late 2007, uh, it was slowing down from the September. But in Dece- the December to March, threw us a bit because it came back a bit. The market came back a bit.
1: Right.
2: And then pretty much end of March, April, it just stopped off a cliff. 2008. Right. we have been lucky because we, I mean, sold on some land in early 2008. Um, that we'd just got planning consent on. And we made quite a bit of money out of reselling that. And to be honest, if we hadn't, we'd probably wouldn't be here because that just helped fight our way through the rest of 2008.
1: Well, you know, I remember 2008 and the, 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 the house building construction division of our recruitment company literally just fell off the cliff over yeah. overnight. You know, was it, You know, work, and I'm sure it was the same being in the industry rather than being on the periphery of it, supplying it. Could you see it coming?
2: Was there, you know... Well, I could say it through us a bit because it came, the market came back a bit at the end of 2007, early 2008, and then it just died completely. And, I mean, we we should have acted quicker on some redundancies, really, but, we, I mean, by the end of 2008, we'd got people just sitting around wanting to tell us what was happening. Right. One of the crazy things in you know, in August two thousand and eight we banked in that west so we yeah. were really in the in the in the mess of it with, with their own mess. Of course we didn't realise at the time the mess that they actually were in. They they've come under autistic for these um, swaps and things that they were selling people. Well we got a fixed interest rate agreement with them for three million pounds. Right. And in August two thousand and eight they bought me out of it. And two right. months later, they were virtually bust, and it had been worthless. Right, right. And that was another little thing, because if they hadn't bought me out of that, we'd have been paying a much, much higher interest rate later on on what we'd what we got borrowed from them.
1: In terms of, you know, did your production in, in 2008 completely stop, or were you finishing on sites? How, how did it work?
2: We were finishing, yeah. We'd, we'd got a couple of sites we were in the process of buying that we had to pull out of, and we managed to. Hmm. Uh, we'd got one that we'd got a contract condition on planning, and we did get a planning consent, but it wasn't what we'd originally applied for, so we managed to to not have to go through with that and get the deposit back. Yeah, I mean, you just have to, you need it to build out what you've got because you don't sell anything half-built. So that was a fight with the bank to even let them allow us to do that. We eventually they had a bit of sense, and, and we did. And and actually, where we were building our core product, the small and medium detached, yeah, we sold the houses, and we only dropped about ten percent in price. Right. We only had one site, which was really the wrong wrong product in the wrong location, and and um, we probably shouldn't have bought it in the first place. And that was townhouses, which dropped vastly more, you know, thirty to forty percent.
1: Do you remember the days when you and probably you and your wife and the rest of your board meeting, were, you know having your coffees, going right, what the bloody hell do we do now, and what's the survival plan?
2: Well, I mean it's just over ten years ago, isn't it? I mean there yeah. was one there was one weekend in October 2008. I did wonder whether it was worth bothering. Getting up on Monday morning, mm. we were. I mean that West was just so unhelpful, and I mean at the end of the day they were just trying to screw cash out of us. We got an investor who they put under a lot of pressure to put some more money in, which he did to a certain extent. Which they then agreed to 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 match up with a bit more. But yeah, it was very very difficult.
1: Steve, you 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 did decide to get out of bed that day. What what was it? (laughs) Because I'm talking to you now. But what was it that kind of
2: kept you going? I suppose a stubbornness to be to be defeated by. People like banks. Actually, really, I mean a belief, a belief in what we were building and what, and that we, you know, it was saleable and, and whatever. Yeah, and I and I think just the, but you look, you look back and you look at the energy wasted just trying to deal with the bank, the banks and stuff, and it really is quite annoying.
1: Do you wish there was some stuff that you did do, but you just not done that, and you just cut straight to the chase, and, and, and maybe?
2: In the early two thousands, you've got something called PPG three, which was the planning guidance, which was all about high density, and we were really struggling to find sites that were our traditional detached house sites, and that's why we bought this one for a row of townhouses. Now, with hindsight, we should have stuck to our our traditional and not really and not not done that, and that's where we've where we've sat back now and done a risk assessment now and said, okay comparing to 10 years ago, we've actually got better locations, and that's always a key fact, and we've got the right product. Right. So, you know, could we have as deep a recession? Well, nobody knows what's going to happen with Brexit. <laughs> but have we got the right product in the right location? Yes, we have. And I've got, you know, if prices did drop by a chunk, we, we could stand it.
1: Do you feel now, you know, with the you know, the threat of Brexit, you know, who, who knows what's going on, because of 2008, that you
2: are better prepared? I think, yes, I think you've seen that, and you have, yeah. I mean, I look at the number of people. In 2008, we went down from 28 people to eight. We're now at something like 37 people, although a lot of those now are apprentices, so we are trying to train up joiners and bricklayers so that we're not so reliant on the subcontract market right and if i count the comparables to the 28 we've got less just general admin people and i've got more people doing a specific role so for instance we've got design in-house now with two people we've got like i say about eight eight or nine apprentices right and i see that as being a much better we, and we've got more people. We've got more people on customer care than we had ten years ago as well. So we've got people in better areas where we've got better control. I would say. Right. Okay. My two sons both joined the business for completely different reasons <laughs> in July two thousand and seven. Which everything was wonderful in July two thousand and seven. Yeah. I think that was the year David Wilson sold out to Barrett, so that was the month David Wilson <laughs> sold out to Barrett. Yeah. Perfect timing. Yeah, so Simon and James joined then, and really ended up doing, doing very, very different roles for a few years to what was intended. But then they've seen it right from that bleak point, you know, to, to now where we're back up, we're back to, but it it's just taken 10 years to get back to where we were.
1: Just start on, a, on a kind of a, a wider note you were uh, involved in help setting up the small developers group. Yep. The, the, for the HBS. Why did you first of all, why did
2: you help set that group up, what we should what we should drive? We initially joined the Home Rivers Federation in about two thousand and three. And I joined literally to get on what was then the New yeah. Homes website. It was newhomes.co.uk Right. And they got that and they set it up and, and we We had got our own website, but there was nothing like Rightmove in those days. And this was specific to New Homes. Okay. And I just took the whole membership fee as being a cost of getting on that website, because I didn't really know much about the HBF. I then got invited to some regional meetings, which were mainly attended by the regional MDs of the national companies, but with one or two smaller. Smaller firms, and really just got talking to the chairman and MD at the at the federation, you know, about about smaller developers, and I, you know, there was a lot of support for doing something, but nobody had really sort of pushed it very much. So we so we started that, and initially we started having meetings in different places. Birmingham and, and the Building Research Establishment in Watford and odd ones in London, but it, it turned out that actually, and this is really annoying for people who come from the north. Actually, London it, London is the only place that everybody can get to from anywhere in the country. You know, you, you pick Birmingham or Manchester, it actually is very difficult from the south east, and it's actually also quite you know to get, get Manchester from the north east isn't easy. To get to Birmingham from the north east isn't easy. So you know, we, and we do get people from you know Newcastle and the like this, coming down to coming down to meetings in London. You
1: obviously have a great insight into first of all being a, a small developer. What kind of role do you, do you feel that the small developers have in the the kind of the, the wider housing issue of, of, of undersupply? Because. You know, some, you know. I read that 60% of housing completions at the moment are, are completed by the top 10 companies. And they're...
2: well, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't so 30 years ago. It was massively the other way around. And if you take the NHBC, the warranty provided, I think about 20 years ago, they had 12,000 members. Mm-hmm. Now it's down to two and a half thousand or something like that. Wow. You know, and the majority of those obviously are the smaller ones. Some of the bigger ones and medium ones have merged as well within that. Yeah, yeah. But I think the smaller, the smaller firms give people much more choice and diversity. Mm-hmm. And you get much more variance in architecture and things like that as well, which you don't get fr- from the, the big firms.
1: I know it's a really big question and probably a, a, a separate podcast episode, really, but, <laughs> you know, because I'm sure you can probably talk all night <laughs> about this, but I'm aware of time. What can be done? And I know it's a bigger question, but, but what can be done to to address that balance? Whether it's
2: well, there are a few things starting to happen. We've recently, in the last two or three weeks, we've been approached by a, not one of the big nationals, but, a, but a, a, big, a much bigger regional house builder who is bidding for some government land, and part of the bid has to be to have an SME house builder alongside them. Now, that's something I've been banging the table at for the last five or six years, and it is actually starting to happen. So, this is government land being put out to the market through Homes England, and it now says on two of these. That it's split with an SME developer, so that's an opportunity, we just wouldn't have had previously. We also got involved in a site in Doncaster, in South Yorkshire, where custom build was required. Now, custom build is a bit—it's a bit of a fits fit. You know, you can make it fit all sorts of definitions. Really, the self-build industry are all very keen to promote it. I don't think it's going to. Add thirty thousand pounds a year to what's being done, but you know, custom built is only what the smaller developers have done for years, which is give people a load of choice. And you know, there's long-standing, much older than us, family-based small house builders who've, who've always given people masses of choice in what they in what they get. But that's again, that's one of the things that the governments and Homes England have clicked on to. And have and have made some sites. They said it's got to be ten percent custom build. So potentially again, it gives opportunities to the smaller developer as well as maybe a few self-builders.
1: Small changes, small changes happening
2: too slowly, but
1: in terms of just you know, kind of I don't know, making the bringing it to the forefront, what what the issues are, you know, to the government.
2: I think the HBF's doing a pretty good job, along with other organisations like FNB, of getting the message that planning and funding are two of the biggest. The only problem is, I mean, there was some extra money made available or some government guarantees made available in the budget, but we don't think that they're being directed exactly as intent as we were trying to say to them was needed. Because what's happening now is, Funding is opening up. The secondary banks that you previously have called merchant banks right. are out there and have got funding. But mm-hmm. now what's the problem is that it's the loan-to-value level of those that the SMEs haven't got enough equity to do the next site. Yeah. So they're only lending you so much and often they make out they're lending you a higher headline figure than they actually are. Right. So if it's to enable an SME to expand, a lot of your money is ti- your, your money is tied up in the first site until you're very, very long way through it. So the ability to either extract some of that. So what we what we as a federation were government was, if you would do a guarantee for that, it's almost like a, a business version of help to buy. Right. If you would do a guarantee of that, then the bank could lend us a higher loan to value on that site and the other site, and our equity would. But the two. Mm. Instead they seem to have given some guarantees to these banks so that the banks can lend more money, but they're not they're lending it to more people rather than right. more money to the same people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't quite run as to what was intended. Can anything be done to get that back on? You know, there's discussions with civil servants all the time on these things and they don't they don't always understand it to start with, and then some. And yeah, sometimes you can get those things to be modified and changed. Yeah. Steve, just
1: on a final note, if you were giving a, a younger Steve Mitchell advice, whether it is um, you know trying to manage the, the the problems that Brexit might cause, or or somebody entering the industry, what, what what advice do you think you'd give yourself?
2: That's a good question. I suppose if I look back, firstly. You know, I just see it as I've lost ten years now, and where we might have been, and I might have been thinking about retiring a bit earlier, and things <laughs> like that. So I suppose it, I, I think the key thing is it's about measuring risk. And I I think it, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of media attention lately about salaries and income of top executives in, in places, and I think there's a split on this. Those who set up their own business and taken a risk, I don't think there should be any criticism matter how many millions to take out or something. But those who are effectively employed chief execs end up with massive salaries or massive bonus schemes or whatever, mm. But actually, what are they risking in doing that? Very, very, they're risking getting kicked out if they don't achieve it, <laughs> but that's about <laughs> And they're not really gonna be too badly off <laughs> if they, if they mm. do. I do think there is some room for, for capping that. It's yeah. not exactly entrepreneurism, is it? it? It's, you know, the true entrepreneurs are those who started from scratch. You know, the Alan Shivers of this world and, and whatever. Yeah. But risk is about understanding it. And a risk, yeah. if you understand, one of the reasons we've never really wanted to move far out of our general area mm-hmm. is understanding the market. So, if I move into a different area of the country, that's that's the bigger risk in buying land because I don't understand the market. If it's local to us, we could go from one little town around here to another little town or village to village and say, right, the average price here will be X and the average price there will be Y. And we just know it from experience. And I think that's the biggest thing is to keep it controllable. And also to just to be prepared to listen. I've always had non-exec directors right from, right from day one. We had one from a long time ago. Right. And we've now got two, which is quite a lot for a small firm. Mm. And you look at what you pay them, and sometimes it's nearly as much as you're paying somebody that's working full-time. But actually, the value they bring and making you step back and look at things yeah. is, is one of the biggest. It's It's actually that step back. That's probably, actually, that's probably actually the most important thing is is you yes. can't do it all the time. Yeah. But don't get yourself so engrossed that you can't step back and see yeah. what's actually happening.
1: It's having another set of eyes
2: on the business, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And allow yourself to be challenged.
1: All right, Steve. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, hopefully we'll talk in the future. Yeah, okay then. Thank you. Take care.
0: Discover how to build your UK housebuilder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms, automation, and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK housebuilding industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.